0: noteworthy and potentially pivotal deadlines throughout the Major League Baseball winter. Tomorrow is bringing one of them that's especially important to the local club. Good morning to you. Good Thursday morning. I'm Dan Kovacevic of DK Pittsburgh Sports, and this is Daily Shot of Pirates. Comes your way bright and early every weekday if you're into football and or hockey. I also offer up daily shots of Steelers and Penguins right where you found this. It's the setting of the rosters in advance of the Rule 5 draft. If you've been with this program for a while, you'll know that I've mentioned this even while there was baseball happening because I felt it was a big deal, particularly as it related to the acquisition of prospects. As much as you would like to think or to have the Pirates being able to just endlessly stack prospects through the system, trade everybody and everything, and just overload every affiliate, you can't do it. You can't do it. There is a mechanism in place that keeps anybody from doing it. It's been there for a long time. So long, in fact, that the Pirates were once the beneficiary. A legendary beneficiary in that regard by getting Roberto Clemente in the Rule 5 draft from the Montreal Royals. Actually, here in Montreal right now for hockey, so I kind of had it on my mind here. And the aim is to make sure that nobody ever clogs up a system so much that it doesn't give players a chance, prospects a chance to move up. You don't want to just uh, allow a team to be able to just store them down there and keep them there until they're 26, 27 years old. You have a protected list. It's a 40-man roster. After X amount of time in the minors, they've got to go on that 40-man. Now, not someone new like Henry Davis the first overall pick the Pirates just made in the draft this past summer, not Nick Gonzalez. They've got guys that are going to be challenging decisions in one direction or the other as prospects. But my greater interest in this is at the big league level, and not just because these are the players that I would get to see on a daily basis, but because this will tell me, a lot about how serious the Pirates are about sticking to this plan versus, well, if we hang on to that guy, we could be decent next year. Do you see what I'm saying here? And as such, I'm going to go over a few names here with you. I pull this list out here. of The, the guys that are kind of potential, you know, uh, cuts, you know, the, the the in-betweeners. There's the extremely obvious guys that you know they're going to protect who have to be protected. The Brian Reynolds and David Bednar and so forth. That's not going to be super interesting. And even with the, the, the prospects, the younger guys who have to be kept, like a guy like Blake Sederland is an example. He's coming off Tommy John, but he could throw the ball routinely at 102 miles an hour. With the elbow being rebuilt, all history points toward his being able to do that again once he's healthy. It won't be soon. It won't be this spring, but he'll he'll be back. And that, that's somebody that's worth protecting, even if they end up on the 60-day to open the season, which he will. And if you look at the rest of these names, the guys that are kind of on the fringe, i got to tell you, I have a borderline belligerent attitude about this, like... I want them gone. If you are even a fringy prospect, okay. if you're in the teens and 20s of the Pirates' top 30 ranking, you deserve a roster spot over, say, Anthony Banda, the lefty reliever who came in and threw nothing but hits and homers. I don't care about any mechanisms that he changed. I don't care about any of his more intricate uh statistics or anything dude came in and poured gas on the fire every time he pitched see ya there are a million of those out there how about nick mears there's another one seemed like kind of a prospecty guy you know and i say prospect e because he's not that young and they gave him a chance and he went out there and just did nothing just did nothing in indianapolis And in the majors, I have zero use for this pitcher. How about Dylan Peters? There's another one. Guy came in and looked decent for like a couple innings or so. And then he would kind of, you know, flame out a little bit around the fourth inning or so. There's, There's a million of those guys. It's a middle reliever. That guy's screaming at you that he's a middle reliever. Get that stuff out of here now there are there are much tougher decisions to be had at least i I would imagine that in the eyes of the pirates a decision like chad cool would be challenging because cool does still throw 96 97 miles an hour without really even breathing hard but he's all over the place he has no sense for where the ball is going, and the fact that he gets frustrated after it gets hit over a fence doesn't doesn't add to anything. He's a great guy. It's impossible to say anything negative about Chad Cool, the human, but that's not what we're talking about here. We're talking about Chad Cool, the guy who serves up endless gopher balls and who can't control that fastball of his nor for that matter any of his other pitches not on any consistent basis not even from start to start on those rare occasions when he has a good one there is no chance I am tendering this individual and paying him three million dollars not because of the money but because he's not a very good pitcher and that roster spot meaning the 40 not the 25 that roster spot can be put to better use Tough decision. You want a real tough decision? How about Colin Moran? What do you do with him? If the Pirates do end up signing Yoshi Tsutsugo to bring him back, I'm going to bet, and I mean bet a lot, that Yoshi will be your starting first baseman. And they, and whoever ends up being the new infield instructor, can work around the clock to turn him into at least a competent defender. If that happens, there's no room for Moran. They're both lefty hitters. And more significant, I think, Moran just missed so much time. And I know it wasn't his fault in a lot of cases. In some cases, you can argue that it might have been because Of The groin injury early on that put him out for two separate stints. Uh, Anything that's soft tissue raises an antenna with athletic trainers. But when you're talking about him getting hit with a pitch that cost him additional time, I mean, that's just not fair. But he was really unlucky, but he didn't play. And he didn't produce as a result. Not over a full season, not the kind of counting stats that you'd want to see. And he's a decent defender but he's certainly not anybody that you'd keep because wow he's so good over at the bag that you just have to have him so uh, Moran m- might be someone that you're looking at as not making it through not necessarily this phase of rule f- you know the rule five thing but at some point through the winter Ben Gamel, Ben Gamel's. A guy that might be seen by some as kind of iffy, not by me. (laughs) No chance. Not with that outfield. Not with that outfield. Ben Gamble should be some team's fourth or fifth outfielder. On this team, he's starting. And with no prospects pushing him, I repeat, no prospects. There are no outfield prospects unless you move O'Neal Cruz out there. Then Gamble's going to start. He's going to start. And I'm not offended by that. I'm not excited by it either. Cole Tucker. Cole Tucker is a... What do you do with Cole Tucker? Do you believe in September? You know, do you believe what you saw there? Do you believe that after several months of work, including that really unusual uh, special stint where he stayed an extra month, remember that? Him and Jared Oliva, both down in Bradenton, to just kind of, I don't know, work on hitting away from baseball. And then when he came up, it wasn't any different. When he went back to Indianapolis, it really wasn't any different. And then finally he comes back to Pittsburgh, and I'm not going to say that he sensed his time was running out, so he really stepped on the gas because he's not a, an individual who lacks motivation or needs to be fired up. Maybe there's something there. Uh, I have a hard time letting them go. I have a hard time letting them go. But I really, genuinely hope that Ben Charrington doesn't in most of these cases because most of these players that I just mentioned are not worth it. They can be had anywhere. So don't even take that in the mean context. You can find yourself, even a Ben Gamble, somewhere rather easily if you were to let him go. There's lots of him out there. There's lots of fourth and fifth outfielders. There's lots of spare infielders. And there are endless middle relievers. I would never, ever look at a middle reliever and say, now that's a guy you've got to have, with one exception, with one exception. And that's when you're confident that that middle reliever can either help you as a setup guy or as a backup setup guy or maybe even graduate to closer or whatever in some kind of back-end role. For example, I wouldn't characterize Chris Stratton as a middle reliever. To me, Chris Stratton is A and B between David Bednar and him. As closer or setup guy, back and forth, whichever one is needed based on whose stuff might play against somebody else. The same way Derek Shelton described him. But but other middle relievers, no, just 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 go get rid of them. Keep your prospects, keep your eye on the ball, and whatever other holes it is you need to fill in the major leagues, get better players than the ones that you're sending out the door, ideally beginning tomorrow. When we come back, just one question. that's brought to you always by the good people at the North Shore Tavern, directly across Federal Street. Home of Steak on a Stone, home of one of the city's very best sports bar type environments, with excellent food and unbelievable selection of craft beers, including local and some great people on top of that. Check out North Shore Tavern, right across Federal Street. From PNC Park, our J1Q comes from Larry Snyder, who asks, which Pittsburgh team pulls out of its nosedive first? Man, I'm getting a lot of these. People are so down right now about both the Steelers and the Penguins, and they're even being breathed in the same sentences. the Pirates. And usually when these questions come, these types of questions, Larry, in healthier times for at least one or two of the franchises, it'll be something along the lines of who will be the next Pittsburgh team that wins a championship? Which one is on the best trajectory to win it all? And with that one, I always come back with the same Boring but authentic response that it's whichever team happens to be closest to it right now. I thought the Penguins had a a reasonable chance at getting out of the Eastern Conference this past season. They didn't. They flailed in the first round because of goaltending. I thought the Steelers were at least going to beat the Browns to get through the first round after having an 11-0 start last year. Didn't. Marquise Pouncey snapped the ball over Ben Roethlisberger's head and that was that. You ask something different. You ask which team is going to pull out of its nosedive first. And I will say this at the risk of considerable ridicule. And that's that the Pirates aren't in a nosedive. They're at rock bottom. Okay? So one can posit somewhat reasonably that there's nowhere for them to go butt up. I'm taking your question literally, okay? I get it. 101 losses. This is 101 losses. But I don't think anybody looks at the Pirates of 2022 or 2023 and thinks to themselves, man, this is going to get even worse. Like nobody, nobody, the worst cynic around, as it relates to baseball in Pittsburgh, doesn't think that. They definitely think that it's going to be better because they know that there are prospects coming up. Does that mean those prospects are all going to pan out? Does that mean they're going to pan out to the degree that they can contend? Who knows? But they're not going to lose 101 games. If you have, let's say, out of the eight everyday players that you got, or if there's a DH9, if you have the nine everyday players, and you've got six of them who are legit, well, you know, and you got yourself, what, three starting pitchers you can count on? Closer, setup guy, like I was saying in the first segment. You, you've got yourself something. You don't necessarily have a championship team. But you're not going to lose 101 games. And you're going to be on the trend upward. So if I'm taking your question the way it's phrased, I'm going to say the Pirates out of the three. And I don't care. going can make fun of me or whatever. It doesn't, doesn't, doesn't affect how I feel about sports. It's sports, you know? But the Pirates, I, I think, could reasonably be painted as trending upward. It's not going to be imminent, I don't think. And i really increasingly beginning to believe that it's not going to be part of any sort of aggressive, specific approach on Ben Charrington's part. I don't think you're going to see him going out and filling holes with significant signings or trade acquisitions. But I also don't believe for a second that they're going to lose 101 games next year. I really don't. I don't see why anybody would. Get O'Neill, Cruz in the lineup. Get Ruanzi Contreras, Miguel Yahure into the rotation. Fill a couple of holes. Make some key subtractions. Again, pointing back to the opening segment. That's bouncing back upward. But it it could also be, uh, and this is a term they use on a stock market, a dead cat bounce. I know that sounds awful, but that's not my term. It's theirs don't want it to be a dead cat bounce wow On that miserably grim note we'll conclude today's program and have one more of these